everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranik, a TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 48 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind. The NBA Finals are over, and uh, just to give you fair warning, this will be a massive edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. A lot of stuff going on, plus a long-form interview with our friend of the program, Andy Schiffman, as we get ready for the NBA Draft. Andy Schiffman, if you do not know him, he is an agent with Priority Sports in Chicago. He represents a couple of Grizzlies players as well. He's a Memphis guy, gives great insight on what it is like to be an agent at this time of year. So that's going to be a major part of the show, but there's so much going on with the draft, uh, wrap-up of the NBA Finals, and the Summer League schedule uh, was just announced for the Memphis Grizzlies. So we'll get to all that in a moment. But first, we tell you, the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. They've helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. What's going on in Hoop City right now? The 2022 summer basketball camps are rolling right now. Uh, there are still three more camps as I look at the calendar yet to come. Uh, June 27th through the 30th at Christ Church, July 11th through 14th at Christ the King, and then August 1st through the 4th at Independent Presbyterian Church. Uh, if you want any information, you uh, just go to the website, hoopcitybc.com. Uh, if you have questions, you can also reach out to Scott Robinson at hoopcitycamps at yahoo.com. That's hoopcitycamps, all one word, at yahoo.com. Or you can call Scott at area code 317-490-5948 and get your young person registered for one of those remaining basketball camps, which uh, typically they sell out. Uh, I haven't heard from anybody if those are sold out yet, but uh, if, if you're interested, hopefully you're not too late. Go ahead and check in on that for Hoop City BC. Uh, boy, great to be back. Long time away. Apologize for that, but you know what? Got to go away and recharge the batteries. Uh, had a fantastic trip to Chicago and then up to Door County, Wisconsin. Those of you unfamiliar with the geography of Wisconsin, if you look at Wisconsin as a hand, the thumb that sticks out between Lake Michigan and the Bay of Green Bay, that would be Door County, uh, a place that I've gone to uh, really my entire life, and um, but started in Chicago, and um, my favorite person in the world and I went to the Chris Bode concert at the Chicago Theater. If you don't know Chris Bode, he is a jazz trumpeter, kind of made his name early on anyway as uh, playing in Sting's band. That was the first time I actually encountered Chris Bode. He was playing with Sting's band uh, in the Brand New Day tour. And, and Chris has gone on to have just an incredible career, fantastic trumpeter, uh, put on just, I think, one of the best live musical experiences I have ever seen. And I've seen you 2 and Paul McCartney and Elton John. This was as good as anything for the amount of skill and showmanship and musicianship, the way that he's constructed his band, bringing in uh, various uh, special guests as well saxophone, violinist, vocalists, two of them. Uh, it was absolutely a sensational evening uh, in Chicago. And so if you look up Chris Bode online, he is touring all over the country. Uh, check him out. I, it really, really is a fantastic night. And because I'm a big Chris Bode fan, uh, bought tickets close to the front. So it kind of felt like you were in a small jazz club, although the Chicago Theater is this massive theater palace uh, for uh, for the Memphis area listeners. It's pretty much like the Orpheum, but on a larger scale. That kind of very ornate Rococo uh, decoration on the inside. And it's just an amazing, amazing place. Uh, and of course, Chicago. So there was Giordano's Pizza. There was uh, the Art Institute uh, Cezanne exhibit. Did that as well. Then went up to Door County. And go, go up to Door County, just hang out where it's nice and cool and uh have some good food, drink some good wine, and there's a there's there's a park right on the edge of Fish Creek, Wisconsin, and it looks directly west. And you go and you bring your camp chair and you wait for the sunset. And 
take some really cool pictures and just enjoy the sunset. Maybe with a glass of wine. Maybe just maybe with a glass of wine. Might, might do that. Uh, so yeah, so uh, good to be away for a period of time. Recharge the batteries a little bit. And um, let's get into a whole bunch of stuff. And let's start with the NBA Finals. Golden State wins it in six. Not a surprise. I had Golden State in seven. Uh, listener, you know that that's what I had predicted. I thought it was really more of a toss-up series than what it ended up being. And if you try to encapsulate this series and why it turned out the way that it did, I think, number one, you look at Boston and their stars were not superstars in the big moment. Tatum and Brown were good, although I think a lot of people would say that, that actually Tatum wasn't very good. Uh, because not being able to finish in the rim, finish at the rim, missed a lot of shots normally he would make. Um, you know, when Derek White was going, then Boston was really good, and, and that really underscores that Boston's bench did not show up the way that it needed to in order to win this series. I, you know, a lot of people before the series made a lot of the fact that Golden State had a whole hell of a lot more of NBA Finals experience than the Boston Celtics. And some people will say, well, that doesn't really matter because Boston had a really rough road, uh, you know, to get to the NBA Finals. They had to, to win a couple of Game 7s and, you know, against Miami and Milwaukee, which is true. Now, I agree with a lot of national people who will tell you that if the Bucks had Chris Middleton healthy for that series, they may go on to the NBA Finals, and it would not have been the Boston Celtics. Both these teams very, very good defensively, and – what really stood out about this series defensively for me, when you look at the Golden State Warriors, Golden State gave you multiple defensive efforts. Switch, re-switch, go back to the original guy, whatever it took. Every rotation was on point. And when you think of Golden State, obviously you think of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. You think of Splash Brothers. And then you add Jordan Poole, and then you add in Clay Thompson. Uh, I, bet, I mean, you add in a Draymond Green, whatever you think of him. Uh, and I know he's not a real popular person in Memphis, but that's that's what you think of. Uh, but primarily the Splash Brothers and the ability to make a ton of threes. And Curry can, you know, make a three from from the logo at midcourt. I mean, we get all that. But what really sets this team apart is their defensive, not only ability, but I think their defensive discipline and the extra efforts that they make on defense. And that is where Golden State, as much as anything, won this series because they made sure that Tatum and Brown were ordinary. They made sure that outside of maybe one game, Derek White did not get away from them. And so that, to me, was as big as anything in this series. Also, the play of Andrew Wiggins. And it's really amazing. I think this was the first time a player won his first NBA championship and won it with a team other than the one that drafted him. That's how really strange this is. And, you know, the knock on Wiggins when he was in Minnesota, does he, does he have a high motor? Does he really care? Does he really want to be better? Does he really want to improve? He and Carl Anthony Towns, for whatever reason, Minnesota, and for years, you would hear me and Brevin talk about this, on the telecast, Minnesota can't be this bad. They have these two elite-level talents in Wiggins and Towns. How can they be as bad as they are and make the playoffs only one time in you know 10 or 12 years or whatever it was, and that was because, because Tom Thibodeau was the coach. Um, but Wiggins goes to Golden State, and for me, this is another proof of the power of culture and also the importance of being in the right situation. A lot of people will tell you that Minnesota maybe is not the best organization in the world. Certainly was not, uh, you know, a few years ago. I think they're starting to get their house in order. Certainly we saw that this year. Andrew Wiggins goes into a very disciplined, very culture-heavy organization in Golden State. Steve Kerr doesn't put up with any BS. They have a way that they want to do things the, the way they want to handle business. And Andrew Wiggins, to his credit, said, okay, I'm going to buy into this. And had a productive, very, very productive finals. Uh, you know, 
probably a distant second in terms of uh, NBA Finals MVP. But to me, that was absolutely huge for them. He was the X factor for Golden State. It was an X factor where Boston did not have an X factor. And I think that that in part cost them the series. And of course, you can never overstate the importance of Steph Curry to the series uh, for the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, uh, the series MVP, there's no question. He played vintage Steph Curry basketball, and that's how you win NBA championships. You you need a bright star. You need a megastar, and certainly Steph Curry fits that description, which also, the whole thing begs the question now, is Golden State a dynasty? And when you think about it, their last 24 seven-game series, playoff series, with Steve Kerr as their head coach, they are 22-2, and two, and I believe the two series, only two series they lost were in the finals. So, you know, th- this is a team that, Look, and people said they were done, they were over. Well, look, Clay Thompson was out for two years. Steph Curry had significant injuries. Um, the D'Angelo Russell piece didn't quite work out. Uh, and, and so they had that, that, you know, the one year where they had the worst record in the league, uh, and, and, then you have, um, and then you have the loss in the play-in game uh, to the Grizzlies. So you had that little bump in a row, but it was due to injuries and – Sometimes you make some roster moves. Maybe you wish you hadn't. But you knew when Clay Thompson was going to come back. You knew that they were going to be good. And I'm sure that I had said at some point, they if Clay Thompson is with them the entire season, if Draymond Green is healthy for the entire season, they may have had the number one seed in the West. And the Grizzlies may have been three or four because that's the talent level that Golden State has. And now you add Jordan Poole to that, and you add Gary Payton II to that as a defender, Poole as an offensive threat, you realize that this team's really, really good. And, 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 and listener, you know, if you have listened to this podcast for any period of time, when, when Jared Greenberg and I had the conversation before the playoffs started, who you think's going to win it? Jared Greenberg was all in on the Golden State Warriors. And once they got the Grizzlies, once they got by the Grizzlies, I, I, I agreed with, with Jared that Golden State probably would be the favorite because now you're starting to get Clay Thompson. If he, maybe he's not game six Clay, Maybe he's not all the way back. But he has the amazing ability to put an end to an opponent's run with a shot. And it need not be a three. It could be a long-range two. But he can do that. Steph Curry, we know what Steph Curry can do. Draymond Green, one of the best orchestrators in the NBA. Great defender as well. And then you get Wiggins playing out of his mind. Maybe the best he's played since the early years in in Minnesota. And all of a sudden, you look at this Golden State team, and and yeah, there's no surprise that they win the title. Um, Are they a dynasty? Look, you got four rings, what, four rings in six years or something like that? I'm willing to put them up there as a dynasty because you know what? They're going to be back again next year. Unless there is some crazy shakeup in their roster, and Andrew Wiggins has already said, you know, I want to be back. They want to keep their free agents. Uh, Joe Lake of the owner is unafraid of paying the luxury tax because with Chase Center in downtown San Francisco and with their success, Golden State can basically print money So they're not really worried about the salary cap. They're not worried about the tax line. They're just worried about winning championships. And and I would have to say they they have to be a favorite, if not the favorite, to win it next year. And uh, the Grizzlies are going to be standing in their way. Speaking of which, let's segue now to Golden State. Really kind of interesting. And you know, a, a lot of the Grizzlies fans hate Golden State, and, and I get that. You don't, you don't like Golden State because, you know, they, they've beaten the Grizzlies in a couple of playoff series, and Draymond Green talks a lot, and, and, and this, that, and the other. And so, and, and their fan base, you know, is, is frankly, it's, they've gotten spoiled. Four titles in, in six years, they have gotten spoiled. Uh, or four titles in whatever number of years it is. Yeah, their, their fan base has become spoiled because they now expect to win championships. And... They're great front runners. I mean, that, that's, that's just 
the way that it is. And certainly we saw the, 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 the bad side of the uh, Warriors fan base during the series with the Grizzlies. Uh, but I thought it was, it was intriguing to listen to Clay Thompson after you win your fourth championship, you're worried about something that Jaron Jackson Jr. said earlier in the season. Now, to explain this, listener, um, Grizzlies beat Golden State, and Jaron Jackson Jr. said, yeah, man, we got strength in numbers. True statement. Absolutely true statement. What Jaron didn't realize, I'm sure, was that Strength in Numbers has been a Golden State Warriors marketing campaign slogan for a number of years. Jaron was just making a, a statement of fact. Grizzlies won that particular game because, hey, Strength in Numbers, it's a deep team. Why Clay Thompson comes up to the podium after winning his fourth NBA championship and, you know, calls Jaron a, a freaking bum because he said Strength in Numbers. Um you know, it just it just kind of crazy. And then to hear Steph Curry talk about, well, you know, we really wanted to prove to all the talking heads that we weren't done and that we could still win championships and all that. And I, I just thought it was interesting to see where their motivation was was coming from. Um, I can see Steph Curry's point more than I can see Clay Thompson's. But being that as a man, I mean, if if you want to motivate Tom Brady, tell him he can't do something. You know, tell him that he's old. Tell him that he's over the hill. Tell him that he doesn't have a strong arm, and, and Tom Brady's gonna gonna find a way to beat you. It's it is kind of interesting, you know, that they take these slights, and in that moment of glory, in that moment of winning a championship, you are more concerned with shouting out the naysayers than just celebrating your success. You know, it, it's funny. Years and years ago, when I was trying to get into the NBA on a full time basis, I was doing some some filling stuff for the Detroit Pistons in in the mid nineties. And I was working for a travel company in Chicago and I was, was trying to get on uh, with, I think it was called Metro. Metro was a, a local network that um, they would sell, I think, weather, traffic and sports reports to various uh, radio stations around Chicago that did not want to have their own sports staff, news staff, traffic staff, whatever. And if you were doing shadow sports or Metro sports, uh, basically you would just be giving, you know, like a, like a two minute sports cast, I think something like that. And, you know, you'd record it and then it'd be distributed to the different radio stations. And then you do a different one, you know, as, as the hours rolled on, I thought it would be a way, okay, get on major market radio. Wouldn't be a whole lot of money, but it would be, it, it would be an in, I would be on the radio in a major market. And, and maybe could build my career from there. And I'll never forget this. Um, I sent my tape in, and the guy from, from Metro, who I will not name, uh, calls me back, and he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I got your tape. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just don't see you as a sportscaster. Um, maybe you could be a, a, maybe a traffic reporter, but not as a sportscaster. I, did, I, I just don't see it. So you talk, you talk about some motivation. I don't know where this guy is right now. I'm guessing he's probably not in radio. Maybe he is. I don't know. Um, but it, it is kind of funny where, where you draw, you know, your inspiration. And it wasn't like that. But to my point about Clay Thompson, is like that insult did not prompt me that I'm going to go get an NBA job. I just wanted an NBA job. Uh, I, I wanted to be. Uh, on the air somewhere. And it wasn't the fact that this guy said, I think you'd be a better traffic reporter. It wasn't that insult or slight or diss or whatever you want to say. It wasn't that that prompted me to, you know, uh, I'm going to show him. I'm like, no, I just have a goal in mind. And if you're Clay Thompson, the goal is to win an NBA championship. The goal is not to shut up Jaron Jackson Jr. If you are Steph Curry, your goal is winning championships, not shutting up Stephen A. Smith or, or, or whoever you know, said that the Golden State Warriors were over the hill, which clearly they're not. So uh, I know that it, it, it generated a lot of clicks, generated a lot of views. Um, it certainly, it sets up now as a rivalry. Um, John Morant and Draymond Green going back and forth on social media. Uh, 
here's my bold prediction. I think that you are going to get a Memphis Golden State game on Christmas Day. That's my bold prediction. First time ever, Memphis Grizzlies on national TV on Christmas Day. That is my bold prediction. I'm going to stick with that. We won't get the schedule out until probably mid-August. Uh, and uh, But I, I'm, I'm betting when the schedule comes out, we are going to have a Christmas Day game between the Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. Got a couple more things I want to touch on before we get to Andy Schiffman, as our friend of the program, to talk about the NBA draft, which comes up later this week. But uh, the Grizz Weekly Grind gets support from DraftKings Sportsbook. And right now, it's all about the Stanley Cup. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. I know we love the NBA, love the NFL. There is nothing like playoff hockey. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Now, if you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the Stanley Cup playoffs, well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay, combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. Your shot at an even bigger payout. Of course, our friends at DraftKings, well, you know, it's safe, it's secure, and they are reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. They're an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado or New Hampshire, 1-800-522-4700. In Connecticut, 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Iowa, it's 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. In New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or you can also text to HOPE-NY. Oregon, visit opgr.org. Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. Or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. You must be 21 or older, 18 or older in the state of Wyoming. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. All right, a couple, uh, couple of things here. Coaching news, obviously big news in Memphis. Totally unexpected. It, it totally flew under the radar because I don't think anybody was really thinking that Taylor Jenkins was, uh, was running out of contract. Uh, he has been extended uh a multi-year extension of course they never talk about money or number of years but uh i know taylor jenkins was smiling from ear to ear uh last week and that's why uh so he will be the head coach for the grizzlies for the foreseeable future there is now an opening in charlotte that uh there wasn't a while ago kenny atkinson former head coach of the brooklyn nets uh had gone to golden state and was coaching with steve kerr Mike Brown, the lead assistant, goes to Sacramento. Atkinson had agreed in principle to become the new head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Mike D'Antoni was also in the mix for that as well, as was Terry Stotts, the former Blazers coach. Kenny Atkinson uh, backed away from the agreement in principle to go to Charlotte, which begs the question, how long does Steve Kerr intend to stay in Golden State and was this a, a conversation like, Kenny, you stick around long enough, you become the lead assistant. When Steve Kerr steps away, there's now a succession plan in place. That is just merely speculation on my part. Uh, I think Kenny Atkinson is is a very good basketball coach. Uh, and, you know, I, I think he would have been he would have been good in Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte right now, that that's a that's a franchise that, you know, outside of Sacramento, they've been out of the playoffs longer than anybody else. Uh, they they need a home run hire. Uh, in order to to get themselves back in the playoffs, I think Terry Stotts would be a, would would be a very good hire. I think Kenny Atkinson uh, would would have been a good hire. And apparently, Kenny Atkinson was the only candidate to actually get to meet with Michael Jordan. So now they're going to have to start that process all over again. 
Utah is in their process. Last time we visited, I think that was about the time that the news broke that Quinn Snyder was leaving uh, the Utah Jazz. Which, by the way, if I'm Quinn Snyder, I would understand why you'd leave the Utah Jazz. If you have seen their new uniforms, oh my word, those are the ugliest, and I mean the ugliest uniforms I have ever seen. All highlighter yellow or all black. Those are the two uh, base uniforms I guess they're going to be uh, wearing, and they are just absolutely atrocious. Uh, NBA draft is coming up later this week. Grizzlies at 22 and 29, and I believe 47 uh, in the in the second round. Just before I hit record on this, Mark Stein reporting that the Grizzlies are very interested in moving up, perhaps up to number four, where Sacramento sits at the moment. The thought is uh, Jaden Ivey, son of former Grizzlies assistant coach Neil Ivey, who is now the head coach at Notre Dame, uh, that he might be a target for the Grizzlies. That's that's reporting by Mark Stein. I believe 100% the Grizzlies want to move up. The Grizzlies just don't have roster spots. They don't need multiple guys in the draft. So would the Grizzlies package 22 and 29? Uh, that might get you maybe into uh, the low teens. But is there a player there that that you want? And the Grizzlies, what what it seems to be their MO is they find a player that they really want and then they figure out, okay, what do we need to do to get to that guy? It's not, well, we want to get into the top 10 or, or you know, we want to get in the teens or whatever. They wanted Zaire Williams. And when they got intelligence that, I think it was San Antonio ahead of them, was really looking at Zaire Williams, then they figured out, okay, we, we, need, to, we need to leapfrog San Antonio in order to get Zaire Williams. And why I say the Grizzlies identify somebody and they are laser-focused on getting that guy, it's because they believe in him. We had a draft party last year for the season ticket holders, uh, the MVPs for the Grizzlies, and, and I hosted the event. And one of the things that they did was, okay, everybody in the building, another 300 and some people, everybody in the building, write down who you think the Grizzlies will pick with their pick. And from all the correct answers, we will draw one and you will get the prize, whatever the prize was. There was only one guy in the building who picked Zaire Williams. Okay, so, you know, whatever the mock drafts say, don't pay any attention to it. Uh, the Grizzlies, if, they've, if they have identified a guy that they really, really want to get, they'll probably try to move heaven and earth to, to get to that spot in the draft. And, and, and get that particular player. Uh, here's my little dirty secret. I am not a big draft guy. Uh, I don't watch very much college basketball, watch the NCAA tournament. That's about it. That's about all the time I have for it. Uh, and it was funny. I was, I was uh, chatting with Amin El Hassan. Uh, spoiler alert, we're trying to get him back on the show. Uh, we had him on uh, Summer League, I think, last year. So we're going to try, try and get Amin back on the show and, and, and just chop it up about the NBA. And he says, I don't care about the draft. I only care about the players when they actually get to the team. And, and I feel very much the same way. I mean, I remember, you know, the Wade Baldwin draft. I was like, hey, this Wade Baldwin, I think he's, he's really good. And then Denzel Valentine out of, uh, out of Michigan said, I think he's really good. And then you look at these players that, and they just don't pan out. To me, it's, it's important, not what they did in college, but it's important what you do with that player once you get them into your program. That is where you really prove whether you made a good draft pick or not. Can you develop this guy into something bigger and better? Like, oh, I don't know, Desmond Bain maybe? You know, that's the type of thing. On draft night, you draft Desmond Bain, and like, okay, cool. What are you doing with Desmond Bain? What are you doing with Brandon Clark? What are you doing with Santi Aldama after you draft them? That, to me, is the most important thing. I had never heard of Santi Aldama until the Grizzlies drafted him last year. So there you go, my thoughts on the draft. Uh, whoever the Grizzlies draft, uh, along with uh, some free agents, and potentially Zaire Williams will participate in not just one, but two NBA Summer Leagues this year, as they have, Grizzlies have for the last handful of years. They'll be in Salt Lake City the 5th, 6th, and 7th of July. On the 5th, they take on Philadelphia, 6 o'clock Central Time start on ESPN2. On the 6th, they take on Oklahoma City, 6 o'clock Central Time start, also on ESPN2. Then NBA TV has the coverage on July the 7th, Grizzlies and the Utah Jazz. That tips at 7 o'clock Memphis time. 
Then the Grizzlies fly to Las Vegas. They will have a, a, a day off, basically, and then they'll start summer league play in Vegas on Saturday, July the 9th. Los Angeles Clippers, 8.30 Central, NBA TV. Sunday the 10th, 8 o'clock Central Time tip on ESPNU when they take on Minnesota. Then against Brooklyn, 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. That'll be on ESPNU. Then on July 14th, they take on Boston, 2.30 start uh, on NBA TV. And then they go into uh, their tournament play. So every team's guaranteed, I think, I think it's six games, five or six games. In any of that, four preliminary games, you just have the schedule. There you go. That's the news. Of course, the big news coming up this week, the NBA draft comes up on Thursday. We'll have a recap of it on the other side of the draft, see what the Grizzlies do. Uh, Like I said, I believe that they are going to try to move up. Now, when it comes to the draft, we have a pretty good idea of what general managers do. We certainly know what players do. But do we always understand the role of agents and how they deal with prospective clients, getting them through the combine, through the draft, the decision to stay in the draft, or to maybe step out of the draft and uh, play another year of college basketball. It's an interesting dance that is done between agent and player to get ready for the NBA draft, and there's no better person to tell us more about it than Andy Schiffman of Priority Sports, our friend of the program. You're in a situation, and and I'm a big process guy, and so I want to understand... When you've got guys coming out of college, what is that? What is that dance like? They they think, and, and and some of them, they know they're going to be in the draft. They know that they're good enough that they will probably get picked in the first couple of rounds. Then there are some that are maybe a little bit on the fence. So how does that dance work with a kid who's coming out of college, more than likely will be drafted or maybe signed as a free agent? They're going around. They're trying to find an agent. You're trying to find a client. How, do, how does that dance work between prospective client and prospective agent? Well, I think, Pete, there's a number of ways, and I'll tell you the way we do it. Uh, what we prefer to do is pinpoint someone that we would like to recruit or target for our draft class very early, and that's through watching, uh, watching games and watching players ourselves. That's through conversations with people in the NBA that we work with and trust. And that is through talking to different college coaches. And obviously, look, you see it all the time. There's these mock drafts. There's these top 100 rankings, ESPN and Sports Illustrated, Draft Express. They're all out there. That is a piece to it for sure. But we really rely, and I really rely on my eye for basketball and talking to the decision makers. Because I tell players and coaches all the time, I may love player X, but I don't own an NBA team. So I need a person who owns and runs an NBA team or a group of people that run an NBA team to tell me they love that player. Because it doesn't matter what I think, I'm not the one drafted. So we rely on those different avenues to really target who we want to go after. And the way we tend to recruit without giving too much away is we like to rely on our relationships with coaches to then maybe get connected to a player's family and go that route. And I think... Our sort of clients that we take on, that's how we get them because the parents appreciate the fact that we're not going directly to the player because that can be distracting, that we are referred to them from the head coach because there's nothing right or wrong about recruiting, I would say. Many other agents will send a DM on Twitter or Instagram directly to the player. They'll literally wait outside the tunnel after the game and get to the player They will go directly to the parents and start offering marketing guarantees and say they can do this and that. They try and sometimes create a divide between the player and or the family and the head coach. And that will work for certain players. It does. Not the sort of players that we tend to represent. So that's kind of our method. And we are very inclusive. We represented, uh, we, we worked with a very talented point guard who Memphis Tiger fans are familiar with out of University of Houston, Marcus Sasser. This spring, and, and I'm an NCAA certified agent, which allowed us to train markets here in Chicago and navigate his way through the combine and some pre-draft workouts. And two days ago was the deadline for him to make a decision. Is he staying in the draft or going back to school? And ultimately, he decided to go back to school, which was the right move because he would have been drafted. But again, for a player like that, that has a lot of momentum to go back to a team like Houston. And now with the whole NIL money being a, a part of this as well, would it make sense for a player like that to come out and risk maybe potentially going into the second round 
You never know. So many things happen in the second round. Uh, there are even two less draft picks this year. There's only 58 uh, due to some rules and restrictions that the NBA imposed on a couple teams last summer during free agency. Uh, some teams lost their draft picks. And now in today's day and age, there are fewer and fewer roster spots. Teams are not looking for reasons to spend money on draft night. And you're going to see generally late 30s, early 40s, teams will start drafting players who will be on two-way contracts. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the best decision, in my opinion, for a player like Marcus that could go back to Houston, have a fully healthy year because he was injured this past year, and put himself on the map to be a first-round, potentially one of the top two or three point guards drafted next year, which can absolutely happen. And we'll be the first to say, hey, we don't have a surefire feeling that you're going in the first round or you're going to be drafted in the 30s where you can get some guaranteed money, go back to school. And time and time again, because agents, and my competitors, unfortunately will do things that I don't do or that we don't do to get players, they have a financial investment already made into these players where it behooves them to keep the player in the draft because if they go back to school, they lose money, they don't make any money off the player, and it, it opens up the risk of that player maybe blowing up, improving, and signing with a different agent the following year. So they want to get those players out of school immediately, even if that means they're starting their career in the G League or on a two-way. And it just hurts players' careers because entry point, as you know, entry point into the NBA for a young player is so important. We represent Corey Kispert. one of my clients. Corey could have left Gonzaga after his junior year. He would have been drafted probably in the 30s or early 40s. He would have gotten guaranteed money, but he would have spent the majority of the year with whatever team that drafted him in the G League. He, fa- he had a phenomenal year, a senior year, went back to school at Gonzaga, played in the national championship game, broke all sorts of records, was drafted 15th by the Wizards. And it's funny, uh, the Wizards GM recently told me, there's a reason Corey was starting for us after the All-Star break and did so well. And it's because coach Wes Unsell with the Wizards believed in him and trusted him more so than some of these younger guys that only spend a year or two in college because those players have to adapt to the NBA, and it can be a pretty rough transition. Corey already went through that adaptation and evolution and just maturity evaluation or maturity maturation process at Gonzaga spending four years there. So he came in almost as like a seasoned veteran, someone that's already been in the NBA two or three years, and proved that early on his learning curve was much quicker than a lot of rookies or younger players that didn't have that college experience. So there's all this talk a lot about, oh, age, and you have to leave because you don't want to come out when you're 21 or 22. It can really hurt you. If you can play, teams will find you and you have value. That's, that's all I could say. Yes, and Brevin and I have, have felt too, and, and the Grizzlies have in some cases taken the viewpoint that don't hold it against a player that they were in school for three years. Or four years, you know. Malcolm Brockton was a pretty, pretty, you know, is a pretty good, pretty good example mm-hmm. of what you can do. Or Desmond Bain, Desmond, yep. For for that matter, are those hard conversations sometimes? Because I think the perception, and, and this is very enlightening for me, because the perception is that you know sometimes it's the player who's driving. No, I think I will be drafted, and so they're telling the agent, "No, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go." You're telling me there are there are some agents and agencies who are like, no, we 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 want to get you, want to get you in the draft, even though maybe in the back of their mind they're thinking this kid's going to be drafted 45 or later. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, but getting back to the original question, I was going to ask is, are these difficult conversations sometimes with players that have stars in their eyes, dollar signs in their eyes? I want to go in the draft, and you're thinking it's like, son, you're you're not going to go in the top 30 or 40. Yeah. Well, it can be difficult, but the difficult part of those conversations comes pretty early on in the recruitment process. Because, of course, like we represent a player, Keegan Murray, who's going to be hopefully a top five pick out of Iowa. So you're not having those conversations with a player like Keegan because you already know. But there are other players for sure. And during the recruitment of these players, me, I generally know where they're thought of among NBA teams uh, just through due diligence and relationships and conversations. And so if I feel like a player I'm recruiting, and there's one in particular that I recruited this year, I'm not going to name his name. Um, I could tell pretty early on, he was like, look, I'm all in the NBA. I don't like college. I don't enjoy it. If I can start making money, I don't even care if it's in the G League. 
I just, I, I want to leave. And I still recruited him thinking that, all right, you know, what benefits us as agents and everyone here and I, myself, everyone I work with is the level of trust we build with our clients. So to your point, in terms of the difficulty of those conversations, by the time they get here to Chicago with us, they're not difficult because the players really trust us. And they're a lot of, more often than not, like I mentioned earlier, the players we work with as young rookies, they're players that rely a lot on their college coaches for insight and guidance and advice. And, and we do the same. So they're going to listen to us and understand that we're looking out for their best interest because, hey, don't get it twisted. As an agent, I make money if you're making money in the NBA. So, of course, financially, I could be selfish and look out for my own self-interest and have an agenda because that's how I get paid. But that's not why I'm in this business. It, it's We need to focus on what's in the player's best interest. And so when I learn that a player is really just two feet in no matter what, it's a red flag. And the player I mentioned just a couple of days ago decided to stay all in the draft. And I think that's a really bad decision because he could go back to school and he probably would have transferred and turned into a top 20 pick next year. But he stayed in the draft. And I do think that's bad advice from his agent. Uh, I hope I'm wrong for his sake, but I think he's probably going to end up starting out as on a two-way contract, and you're really behind the eight ball starting out on a two-way, especially if you go to a team that's built to win right now. You're really not going to get much opportunity unless an injury happens. So uh, that, that's kind of our process and how I handle things. Yeah, you'll be playing a lot of G League ball in, in a situation like that. I saw what was like 112 guys that yeah. were involved in the combine said, Hey, I'm in the draft. Then, then they pull out. I don't typically follow that. That, that seemed like a rather, rather large number. Is, is that historically a large, large number of guys it pulling is. out? It, it continues. Yeah, it is. And kudos to those players to make those decisions. Here's the thing it, on that point, so many players will say all the time in that situation that they find themselves in. I want to bet on myself. I, I just, I feel like I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. My agent's telling me X, Y, or Z. So I'm going to bet on myself and stay in the draft. Unless you have an assurance that you were going to be a first round pick or an early second round pick where you can get guaranteed money and have security, which will then give you a platform and give you an opportunity. Unless you have that, that's not betting on yourself. Betting on yourself is what Corey Kispert did. Go back to school. It's what Doug McDermott did. It's what Marcus Sasser is doing. Go back to school, prove that you're good enough to be a first rounder, and then turn into a first rounder or even better as a lottery pick a year from now. And the money you'll make, the security you have, and the platform you have as an entry point into the NBA is exponentially more significant, positive, better, whatever phrase you want to say, than making this rash decision because. People are in my ear telling me I should be in the NBA. And I always say, that's great. Do those people own an NBA team? Because if they don't, you better you better be careful. Yeah, and, and that was a thing, too, that, you know, when I would do University of Memphis games and, t- and talk to Josh Pastner, you would, you would come to understand that there were a lot of people in players' ears over playing time. And I can oh. only imagine when the stakes get a lot higher – i.e. being drafted in the NBA, everybody's saying, you're, you're great, you're fantastic, you're going to be this, that, and the other thing. And, and if a player is, is too impressionable and doesn't have a viable sounding board, they can make a, a very, very bad decision and end up on a two-way contract playing G League ball for a number of years if, if they're drafted by a team that, that is built to win now. Speaking of teams that are built to win now, this Grizzlies team, Built to win now. I guess the championship window is is opening a little bit. Uh, obviously, being a native Memphian, you know, you, you you look at them. I'm sure with the with with a favorable eye. What did what did you see from uh, from the Grizzlies this year? Well, I think first what stands out to me is you have an elite level generational player in Java Ranch, but one through seventeen on that roster, the fifteen guys plus the two two-way guys there are no egos whether it's john conchar killian tilly who i represent or john moran or brandon clark's my client as well and and that shows the way they all look out for each other they're happy for each other's successes they all pick each other up you saw it when jaw went down um the support that everyone on that bench gives one another obviously the coaches as well in the front office and how ingrained zach and, and rich cho and 
Kayshawn Prince and everyone there in the front office are with the team from the day-to-day, it's pretty remarkable, and that carries over. So I think the unselfishness, the the selflessness, uh, the care in the locker room stands out. And then on the other side, in terms of the actual basketball, so many players that I represent have told me after they play the Grizzlies, their defense is elite. And that's very encouraging to hear because like we started this conversation with Boston, you see what they're doing right now. And they have the advantage to win an NBA title. And it starts with defense. And the Grizzlies are, are following in that, in that path. And it, you know, you always talk about like, what else does the, do the Grizzlies need? What's the missing piece? Quite honestly, I don't know if they really go out too far to add many pieces. They're going to have opportunities to draft, to succeed in the draft this year with three draft picks. They're going to have two first-round picks, which gives, gives them a lot of opportunity to potentially package those for another player or to move up in the draft, potentially as a top 15 team. Uh, and you can get real talent there. But what I think the Grizzlies are going to focus on is to retain who they have now and the success they've had. Tyus Jones is a free agent, uh, I believe. I think Kyle Anderson might be a free agent or, or extension eligible. Brandon Clark's extension eligible. Um, so the Grizzlies have done such a phenomenal job of developing talent in-house. I mean, Tyus Jones has turned into arguably the best backup point guard in the NBA. And it's funny, I'll be the first to say, when he signed that deal with Memphis, I thought he was overpaid. And I think he's, he's proved me wrong. He, he earned it this year for sure. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, like my guy BC loves playing with him. And you see the combination they had out there on the court, those two. Uh, so they just, they just all those pieces, they fit really well together. So I think the priority for them this offseason is, look, continue to draft well, which they've done uh, in the past, and work on retaining your freeze. When you are at a position in the NBA like the Grizzlies are, they do not need to go out and make a splash in the free agency. And for any fans out there that look up after free agency and wonder why the Grizzlies didn't go out there and make a blockbuster trade or land this superstar, they don't need to. Now, nor they may not have the financial flexibility to do so, but they don't need to. Why disrupt the chemistry you have when you've already succeeded so much with what you do have? Yeah, run it, run it back seems to be the common refrain even among the fans. And 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 Zach Kleiman said in his postseason media availability, we're not going to do – we're not going to do a big splash just for the sake of doing a big splash. And I think that was, you know, also the, the theory behind not really doing anything at the, at the trade deadline, because look, we got something really good. And when you think about it, the preferred starting five did not play in the Golden State series at all. And so you could easily make the argument, we don't know what the ceiling of this team is because they really weren't all together at the same time. Last thing for you, Andy, you know, we, we just entered the month of June and before. June is over. We will have the NBA draft. So you've got your clients that are uh, in the draft. So what is Andy Schiffman's life like now between now and the draft? Is it conversations with coaches and front office people trying to get a sense of where guys are going to uh, fall out in the draft and, and talking with your clients? What, 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 what's the process between now and draft night? Well, Pete, a lot of the legwork and the craziness of the draft is, is behind me in that we prepared for the combine. We've gotten through the combine. We've made decisions that we're staying in the draft and going back to school. And now it's building out each player's workout schedule. When they travel around, for the most part, that's already mapped out. Now, we focus on and I focus on sending players uh, to teams that have interests and there potentially is a real opportunity for that team to draft that player. You don't want to send – let me back up. In this time, a lot of agents like to sit there and puff their chest out to their client and say, I'm going to send you to the first 15 teams because you're a top 15 pick. You need to know if he really has a chance or not, because that's how you screw up a kid's future. Because there are a lot of teams that say, you know what? Like Milwaukee is one, for example. We won't touch a player on the draft if we don't see him in our gym. And there are a lot of teams that take that mentality. And you can try and call their bluff, but they're the ones with all the leverage. And you have to be smart about it. So, my point I was making is the scheduling is generally already done right now. It's day-to-day kind of managing that schedule because we may decide, hey, player A just had an excellent workout with Charlotte. So we feel like that's his floor. Maybe we cancel Cleveland and Boston and Memphis because we don't feel there's any way he's going to get there. We want them to feel like they have to trade up ahead of Charlotte to get him. There's just a lot of strategy, and it's, it's very fluid. 
So that takes up a large part of the day, just constantly brainstorming, thinking, mapping out, strategizing. And then to your point, absolutely, every day on the phone with general managers, with assistant general managers, with coaches, especially NBA coaches. And, and I have great relationships, relationships with these coaches because it is so very valuable to know what they're thinking. Because keep in mind, while the scouts and the assistant GMs and the GMs are out on the road much of the year recruited, uh, scouting, let's say, these NBA coaches are not watching college basketball. So for the first, the first time they really get to lay eyes on these prospects is at the combine and in their own gym when they bring them in. And so you need to know how the workouts went and you need to get an honest opinion and really just get some accurate information to help strategize then moving forward. What are you going to work on with the player if he comes back to Chicago to train? What you need to tweak, what you need to focus on, you need to manage injuries that come up here and there. Uh, manage who they're going up against the workout. So there's just every day, a lot of those pieces come into play. And then at the same time, overlapping, obviously free agency is right around the corner starting July 1st, when you can officially start talking to teams. There's a lot of preparation that myself and I and my staff do uh, to prepare for free agency. So all in all, there's just a lot of conversations, very fluid, trying to also balance, balance managing free agent preparation, not only for our clients in the NBA, but clients who are overseas because that market moves very early and there's a lot of work that I do to try and get our players in great positions to get new contracts and also extension eligible players. Andy, you lead an intriguing and very, very busy life, particularly around this time of year. I appreciate so very much you taking the time to, to chat about the process and uh, kind of lift the curtain on something that I think is a mystery to a lot of people and, and they don't always understand how all this breaks out. So really appreciate the time, Andy. Now, my pleasure. I love speaking with you and hopefully we can catch up after the draft and free agency and I'll see you out in Vegas for summer league. Now, thanks to Andy Schiffman for giving me an awful lot of his time during one of the busiest times of the year to talk about the relationships between agents and athletes and families and NBA front offices. I, I found it very fascinating. Hope you did as well. And yes, I will see Andy at NBA summer league. I'm going to go out there from the 7th to the 12th, that's what I'm scheduled for right now. Don't think I'll be doing games for NBA TV, but who knows, that may change. I'm going to go out there anyway, see the first couple games for the Grizzlies, spend some time out in Vegas, and uh, do some networking with everybody out there. It's kind of like a, a giant NBA family reunion. So uh, going to do that. Again, thanks to Andy of Priority Sports. That's Andy Schiffman of Priority Sports for uh, being so gracious with his time. Uh, thanks to Hoop City Basketball Club for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Thank you, Ernie Kuyper and Chris Cathy, everybody at Hoop City, BC. And also thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. I know this was a long one. I hope it was super informative as well. And we'll be back after the draft. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. And we'll see you next time.